Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. I've got a very special live show for you here. The show was recorded in New York City just last week at the CISO 360 conference put on by Pulse Conferences out of the UK. The conference was fantastic, a little more intimate than many such affairs, and the presentations, even the vendor ones, were top tier. The topic of our show was why CISOs and CIOs don't get along and what we can do about it. I chose Nick VGA as my guest, whom you all have heard before on the show, as Nick has not just been a CISO a few times now, but has also been a CIO. Without further ado, here is that live show. With me today is Nick VGA. Nick is a former CISO, former CIO, uh, about to be a CISO again, as I understand it. Can you tell him a little bit about your new new role? Yeah, I'll be starting uh, in a couple of weeks at uh, as CISO at Talend. So really excited for that. All right. So having been both a CIO and a CISO, why don't you briefly explain a little bit about both roles, what you did, and why you chose the CIO life, given your cyber background? Yeah. Um, so been in the security industry for about 20 years. Um, we, uh, I've been in a variety of different roles, uh, within the security field and then leading security programs for about the last uh, 13 years ish or so. Um, I was a CISO at DigitalOcean, which is a cloud hosting provider. And, um, I'm, I'm someone who likes to learn something new everywhere I go and, and whatnot. And so DigitalOcean, I was learning about the, uh, ugly underside of cloud hosting and, you know, all the magic that happens. Um, but, you know, also international privacy, law enforcement, like all the things that you end up dealing with. Um, and one of the things I was coming up on, and I think that we all experience it as security professionals is that, you know, Hey, why can't I get the technology team to do the things I need them to do? They need to patch. They need to, um, we need to make architectural changes, like all these things that we just constantly butt our heads up against. And I was trying to understand what organizations were looking for from their security professional, from the security leader. So I did a bunch of what I call guerrilla interviewing, uh, interviewing for jobs I didn't really have the intention of taking, but wanted to understand what the mindset was, these people looking for a security leader. And then at the same time, got a call from a recruiter saying they were looking for a CIO for, uh, for Gemini, which is a cryptocurrency exchange. And I was like, oh, this is a really interesting opportunity to run a marathon in the other person's shoes and become a victim of security. Uh, and very specifically not own security. So I wanted to make sure you know, there's a CISO already there um, and they needed somebody to help build out the you know technology and infrastructure side of things and um, and got a chance to t- you know, run that marathon for a couple of years. Uh, you know, Bitcoin was at $1,000 in 2017. It was, uh, you know, really cute back then and it just went bananas, right? We ended up crossing 10,000 at it was November 28th because all of the exchanges crashed because um, everyone woke up in the morning that day and decided it was time to trade crypto. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, wanted to kind of reconnect a bit with some of my technology roots. I'd started as a comm engineer for the New York Stock Exchange in early, early on um, and wanted to, under number one, reconnect a little bit, but number two, experience that tension and try to figure out how do we get past this? How do we figure out how to operate better? Um, we've mentioned empathy a few times here today. Um, how to figure that out? How to have that conversation? Right on. So it strikes me that when you're a CISO versus a CIO, probably one of the fundamental differences in terms of getting the job done is the operational rhythms are, are radically different. Why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> that well, 
I, I was always wondering, you know, what do I have to do to convince the, you know, head of infrastructure or whatever to patch the things when I tell them that they need to be patched or the software development team to patch things when they need to get patched or to change the architecture or what have you. And so running that marathon, it was literally a marathon. Um, the, the analogy, you know, it came to me very quickly that the, the difference is in operating rhythms, right? So for a CIO, you know, you're, you're dealing with building out the platforms within the infrastructure, you're dealing with IT, you're dealing with making sure that the business makes money, right? If you don't do your job, the company doesn't make money. Um, so the analogy I would give was that, you know, the CIO is like the person laying track in front of the freight train that is the business. And if you don't lay track fast enough, you get run over and the business falls off the tracks, right? And now it's over. And it's very obvious that it's over. Whether that's a capacity thing, whether that's a technology thing, whatever, um, or a failure, it doesn't matter. You're no longer making money. The CISO, you know, from my perspective, started being the guy at the back of the train that's yelling up to the front to the person laying the track saying, hey, could you patch that thing for me real quick? It's like, I'm about to get run over by a train. I'm a little busy. I'm going to get to you when I can. And got a lot of, you know, strong empathy as a result of that sensation um, of, you know, that constant threat of being run over. So when you think about the CISO role, a lot of it, unless you're constantly doing incident response, uh, which I hope you're not, um, it's, a, it, you know, it's a lot more about conversations. It's a lot more about influencing. It's a lot more, it's a little bit longer tail. A lot of the things on the CIO side are a lot more like, oh my God, I have to get these laptops delivered like today. Otherwise the new hires on like Tuesday aren't going to be able to start. Um, and then they're not going to make money or the SaaS platform's down or the, you know, the infrastructure's down. So now the trading system doesn't work. Um, those are very different, very real impactful things that you don't have a ton of time to think about. Yeah, that's fair enough. So I, I guess one of the things that gets me is it's not just about the operational rhythms and, and you're right. You can get run over as the CIO very quickly if you're not careful. I think there's a metrics conversation to be had in here as well. And and I've got a I've got a theory. Every CIO in theory is measured by things like SLAs, by uptime, you know, you five nines, whatever the commitment is. I have a working theory that that's actually only half the real metric that the C, the CIO is measured by. And and this might be official, this might be unofficial, but I think what I've seen a lot is um, there's a certain run rate of uptime that takes place and it might be according to SLA and it might be slightly off. And we can have a whole other conversation about CIO metrics and how they can fudge what downtime really is. I've seen that a million times too. Um, somehow they always meet their uptime goals. Um, but, but there's another component to it. A CIO, as long as the business is not being disrupted, is largely ignored, right? In, in other words, um, nobody comes into the CIO's office on a Monday morning and says, hey, the servers were up all week last, last week. Great job. Thanks so much. But the second the servers are down, they're in the office, right? So, so there's this inherent um, ignoring of the CIO a little bit, if you will. And as long as the business disruption is not there and as long as the uptime is there, I think they're okay. And so what ends up being the hidden metric, and sometimes in reality, it's the real metric, but I've known really good CIOs. I've worked for really good CIOs whose fundamental premise was, I'm going to maintain the same uptime I had last year and the same SLAs I had last year, only I'm going to do it for less money. Whether the business is demanding I do it for less money or not, this is the metric I know I'm going to win by. And so you see things like massive Oracle migrations and SAP and you know Salesforce.com or whatever massive maneuverings that a CIO has to go through. And so I would posit that oftentimes, even though the official metrics are there, those are ignored, and a CIO is measured by what he does not spend. 
And I counter that with the CISO, who cannot achieve success without spending, period. So there's a really interesting parallel there beyond beyond that, which is that CIO is successful when there hasn't been a breach or there hasn't been an impact, right? Like the, C, the CISO is invisible until something goes horribly wrong. Right. Um, right. And so a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, within the CISO communities and whatnot, we're like, oh, our job's so hard, our job's so hard. Go be a CIO. It is so hard and so much worse. Uh, I will never do it again. I have mad respect for for all the CIOs out there and everything that they deal with. Um, it it is an ex it, to your point. It you're you're playing a game of efficiency, right? You're trying to make sure that you know your P ninety nine goes down, and you're trying to make sure that your server costs are going down, your storage costs are going down, that your processing speeds are going up. Like everything is, it's that it's that you know. Um, that race to the bottom almost of yeah, like yeah, trying yeah. to show that you're doing more with less. Um, always. I mean, and we're always in that challenge as well from a CISO perspective. And I think that there's a massive opportunity for empathy. Um, there's a, a massive opportunity for CISOs and CIOs to actually commiserate um, with the issues that they're facing because they're very, actually very similar. Um, you know, we're always being told do more with less as CISOs. Like, no, you can't have that headcount. Go figure it out. It can't be that hard mostly because most people don't understand what CISOs do in the first place. Um, and the same thing with the CIOs. Um, and so it's, I think the metrics themselves are, um, I think they're more well known on the CIO side, right? You can measure the speed of a CPU and how fast your customer response is on, on a request and stuff like that. You can measure how quickly like laptops are getting deployed or what the recovery rate is and, and all those things. You can measure your BCP performance. Um, I don't think that there's that much of a conflict from a metrics perspective. But what I do think is that there's an opportunity for CISOs to help the CIO actually have a better metrics conversation. Because coming into the CIO role, it's one thing to think about like recovery time objective, recovery point objective, right? But when we think about it from a risk management perspective and come at it from that lens, we have an opportunity to really talk about the business impact analysis side of things. And Sometimes from a CIO perspective, that isn't the lingua franca, but it is for the CISO. And it's, hey, how do I help you actually do a better job of targeting your metrics by facilitating this conversation with the business from a risk perspective of what their maximum tolerable downtime is, right? What are you actually shooting for? How are we actually going to facilitate that conversation? Um, and I think that's a really, that's how we help tune each other um, and and collaborate in a certain way, and I don't know that we're doing that a very good job of that right now. Yeah, I would argue I've never been in a shop where I'm on a table for a moment. We're going to talk about reporting structures too. I think that's important to this conversation. Let's table table that for a second. But I'm going to challenge one thing you said here a little bit. Um, how many of y'all are financial services in the audience? This is New York. I'm assuming we got a lot of financial services. Got one hands. One. That's it. Okay. So so <laughs> and this is going to quite possibly throw me off completely then. Um, barring the company not having good quarters, how often have you as the CISOs, and just show of hands if you've been through this, company's doing well, you were still asked, do more with less, despite having established baselines, things like I'm going to roll out my EDR and I'm going to roll out my CASB. And they still came to you and said, now that you've done it, now that you've paid for it, and we have this in theory run rate, you're going to somehow have to achieve this with less. Raise your hand if you've been through that. Okay, so not most of the room, some of the room. And so that's where I'm going to argue with you. I think CIOs are told do more with less on the daily. 
And I think CISOs get away with that a lot. And part of it is an education component. When I go upstairs and explain, here's the known risks we're addressing, here's the maturity score we're addressing, and here's the solutions and the projects we're going to deploy to do them. And we get into things like, now what am I deploying? Well, whatever, CASB, SASE, EDR, doesn't matter. You have to explain at the same time you're making that purchase that next year, this is all SaaS licensing, folks. This doesn't magically go down. I can't magically reduce this. Maybe there's a little bit of overhead for the first year and it slightly goes down years two and three, but this is a subscription. It's a baseline. It's a run rate. And I explain that on almost everything I do as a CISO. And I don't often get the pushback on that versus I think the CIO is constantly challenged with, well, go bargain again. You know, like, like, like there's an entire field in IT of contracts renegotiation for things like telco lines, right? There are third-party companies whose sole job is to go to the CIO and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all your 10,000 expenditures on telco, reduce them, compile them, run them through another entity, and save you X percent. And there's a whole industry in just cost reduction in IT that we don't see in cyber. So I'm going to, that's, that's my one challenge to you. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. And I, I think honestly, you're, you're probably also talking about scale of impact, right? The size of the security budget is usually a small fraction of the technology budget. So when you're dealing with a massive expanse and a huge cost, saying, hey, we want to knock a lot of this OPEX out, it is extremely meaningful for the business. Um, so, and, and at the same time, you know, it's that whole like Moore's law of, you know, compute and costs, like it's always going down, but it becomes a game of, you know, how you move those chips around to use them efficiently. If I come in and as, as a CIO and saying, all right, I'm going to put all my data into S3 bucket. And I, you know, it's like not putting your money into a savings account. You never think about it again. You're just like, I'll just collect interest. Well, that cost isn't really going to go down, but AWS goes and releases all kinds of different storage tiers and stuff like that. If you're not being responsible and thinking about how do I re-engineer that for better cost savings, you're kind of not doing, you're not a good custodian of the business to a large extent. Yeah, right? full, full agreement there. Full so agreement I think there. I think that there's an encouragement to be attached to the actual cost of the business, whereas maybe security is seen more as like the overhead cost, right? Yeah. Whereas the actual like running of the platform and the cogs of the business is tied to the CIO function. And maybe that's why there isn't as much of that pressure um, for the CISO itself. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good to me. So so let's talk a little bit about reporting structures then, because you also just gave a, a key moment of, um, you talked about budget. You talked about security budget as a percentage of IT oh, budget, right? So, <laughs> so raise your hand if your budget is expressed as a percentage of the technology budget in your organization. Probably half the room, half the room, right? This is one of my biggest arguments whenever I go to a new shop as a new CISO is no, 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 no. My budget has nothing to do with IT. And I will start that fight pretty much the moment I walk in the door. Sometimes I win, sometimes I move on to another company. Um, <laughs> so, it's a win-win. It's a win-win either way. I'm, I'm out. Um, 
so I think that that ties into reporting structures as well, because nine times out of 10, I think still, on show of hands, as a CISO, do you report to the CIO? Show of hands. So, oh, interesting. About a fourth of the room. I was expecting more than that. So we're starting to see a shift there. And I have personally been, you've been CIO, you've been CISO, and you did your CIO gig in a role where you very much weren't the CISO. It was on purpose to be a pure play CIO. I have, as a CISO, reported to CIO. I have been a peer to the CIO. I have also been the CIO. Um, and I would argue that there is an an inherent conflict of interest in having the CISO report to the CIO. And and I'm going to tell you why I'm back to that metric of don't spend and you win as CIO spend and you win as CISO. And then on top of that, the spend is not just about dollars. It's about resources. CISO says, drop everything you're doing on your new server rollout and give me my patches. I need to his boss who's being measured by the success and the timing of his new server rollout. What do you think's going to happen? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I, talking about the reporting structures, um, so I, I've, I came to a realization that there are certain firewalls you can put in place, sorry for the pun, um, to, to mitigate that. I, I actually like to report into the place where there is the most risk whether that is on the product side, whether that is on the infrastructure side, but there are certain truths that remain constant. One, my budget's atomic to security. It is not subordinate to another budget. So if I'm reporting to the CIO or the CTO, my budget isn't something that the CIO or CTO can then reach into to say, oh, I need that headcount you were gonna hire? Yeah, I need that now. Or hey, that, that dollar amount you had there? Yeah, I actually, I need to go buy more laptops or whatever, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go take that. So managing that, being the representative of security, so not allowing the CIO to be the representative of security. And even as a CIO, you know, you think about your priorities, right? They are, is the company making money? Am I making the things or doing the things that allow the people that make the things that make us money to do their thing? So the engineers and making sure that they have the tools that they need to be able to do all the CI, CD things and everything else. And then number three was, does my team have what they need in order to be able to do one and two? Security was like 3B, right? Like it was, it was a secondary, a tertiary B priority. That's as somebody that loves security, right? So you can imagine that a CIO that doesn't love security or isn't passionate about security, like that's like a seven. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. You get, you get no headcount, you get no extra dollars, I need all these other things over here. So, th- so there is, I think, an inherent conflict of interest. I- I'll say too, there's, there's a little subtlety, I think, in the difference in the two roles as well, where you bring up the hierarchy of it. And I think that even when they're peers, there can still be real conflict. And this goes back to this goes back to the empathy argument you had. But as long as their budgets are dissociated from one another, honestly, I think reporting structure is not as critical, right? And and I think that, that to your point, empathy becomes so key, regardless of which role you're in or who you report to, if that budget becomes discrete to your point, I think almost any reporting structure is valid. Uh, and it just really depends on the needs. And I love this model of yours of going risk forward. Like, where's the most risk? Um, there's another piece to that 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 is a kind of a positive flip, I think, for the CIO, which is business alignment. When you align with risk, you're also talking about aligning with the business, right? And I think CIOs have an easier time demonstrating how they facilitated business objectives, how they didn't interfere with business uh, momentum how this new project they rolled out sped up time to market, how this other thing they did supported this department. I think CIOs have always a very positive forward story of 
here's the business goals, here's the business risks, and look at me marching to a tune that everybody's satisfied with my results. And the CISO, I think very often, if they're going to be risk forward, ends up almost inherently being not business forward to a certain extent. You see what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, but I'm going to counter that. Yeah, so so I want you to counter that. But, but obviously, a successful CISO is a business forward CISO, period, end of discussion. But sometimes to achieve that risk forward perspective, you are jeopardizing business momentum. You are jeopardizing time to market. You are jeopardizing all of these other things that the CIO is getting patted on the head for every day. You're actually directly interfering with that stuff if you're not careful. So how do you be risk forward without being anti-business? And I think this is part of, you know, having sat in that CIO seat and trying to think about, you know, how I show that enablement, that momentum, that, you know, getting the pat on the head. Um, the, the things that we don't talk about as CISOs that are specifically about that, like with shifting left, in our mindset, shifting left is about, well, let's have fewer vulnerabilities. Great. So what? What does that actually mean? It actually means you're delivering product faster, right? Just like the CIO's job is to try to improve the CI/CD pipelines and improve the delivery of the product, et cetera. The CISO, if we do our jobs the right way, we shift left. The argument is I collected revenue faster because of the thing that we did, right? I go get a SOC 2 or ISO or whatever. If I break down the sales stages and show that the due diligence timeframe went down on average by two weeks, well, that's two weeks of revenue captured with that customer that didn't exist before because of the investment that we made. We talked about ROI earlier, right? We're not having that conversation. The CIO is already having that conversation. I think we just need to frame the work that we do in a different way that helps to show that we're actually top-line contributors and not just minimizing bottom-line impact. Right. I, I agree with you, but I'm challenged on specifics there. Like, you gave one example. I go get a SOC 2 cert. Great. Now we have all these clients that have been asking for a SOC 2 cert. Check the box. Move on. That time of sale went quicker. Right? There's a great example. I would argue that something like um, SSO is another good streamliner. Right? Roll that one out. You get a free score for security, but you also get a free score for speeding up everybody's work processes, right? So SSO is a good example. Getting certifications that are required. What are some other concrete examples? And this is something I want to challenge. Unfortunately, we ran out of time earlier with the CICD group that was up here, is what are some concrete and specific things you can do as a security person? This is a challenge to the whole room, by the way, to speed up CICD as a secondary side effect of actually your goal was to secure some aspect of it. In other words, how is security not the brakes on the train? We need concrete and specific examples. And I think Every CISO needs a list of those items, right? So SSO is a good one. Go get the certification is a good one. What about, you mentioned CICD several times. You got any? Yeah, I mean, I, you actually have a, a, you know, a time to market impact curve that when you first implement some of these tools we were talking about earlier here, um, where you're actually going to decrease velocity, but over time you're actually going to increase velocity. So it's that, you know, you have an initial kind of like learning curve and then it eventually busts through. And it's a matter of being able to show, hey, it's not just that, we had fewer vulnerabilities, it's that we found vulnerability, like if you find a vulnerability in something that's already been released, now you got to go back to the developers, they got to reset their IDE, they got to go and like completely change their mindset and figure out what was I doing when I wrote this code or what was that other person doing when they wrote that code. And now not only is it that they're uh, having to fix that thing, they're also not working on the next version of software, right? Like these are very measurable things that we can, that we can take a look at in terms of like the number of bug reports that come in after release. Right? Are they security related? Showing that that number actually goes down and that the, you know, if we were integrated into the IDE of the engineer, we fully shifted left, right? That we're actually, we can show that we're actually catching things earlier and it's actually taking them less time to fix them. Like these are things that we can actually physically measure. 
we're just not telling the story. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, there's an after effect there for sure. Show of hands for the room again. How many of y'all have successfully moved CICD security so left that you were able to actually drop something into the IDEs? How many have pulled that off? Kind of one. We got some wishy-washies. Kind of three. <laughs> so I, that's been my experience is that's, you know, like obviously that's the ultimate left for us, but but for the devs, that's the most intrusive, most like get out of my life kind of moment for them. Um, so I, I, I've never, I've never, I've never personally pulled that one off where I've gotten into the IDE. I've come close. I've come close. I had some DAS stuff that I kind of had a little agent and kind of almost got there. Um, all right. So how about the reporting structure? Anything else you wanted to cover there? Um, thoughts about, you know, let's assume it's not about the personalities and not about the empathy. Are there structures? And we've already talked about the budget inheritance piece, but yeah. what about just on the reporting structure? Any, any final thoughts there? No, I mean, I think, I think the other misnomer that we have, you know, is that, oh, if only I was in control of all of this stuff, it would be perfect. Right. And so things like, oh, the CISO is going to own IT. And we're seeing that more and more happening. Right. And the CISO is like, yeah, I'm going to patch all the laptops. It's going to be great. Never happens. Um, and that's because you're not really in control. And maybe you start realizing that, oh my God, that's why the CIO wasn't patching these things to begin with. Like there's 50 different versions of Mac OS or of Windows or whatever. And, you know, um, and, and it comes back down, like I, I want to say it again in terms of the operating rhythms, right? The operating rhythms of IT or of infrastructure are very different than the operating rhythms of security. And so if you end up in a situation where like the CISO owns IT or owns uh, like the entire infrastructure for some reason, if that thing is down, what is a CISO not doing? Right, right. CISOing. Right, right. <laughs> right. If the director of IT leaves, what is a CISO not doing? CISOing. They're now the director of IT, right? They're more concerned about their supply chain to source laptops than they are about risk management and security strategy and all the things that are, you know, that were, that are core to our business because that other thing means the company isn't making money, right? right? right. And so it's, it's all about, and so those firewalls become really important operationally in terms of like, how do you protect yourself from those distracting operating rhythms um, and make sure that they're, they're functional, um, you know, I actually, I, I liked not having security report to me. It allowed me to, when I was the CIO, because it allowed me to kind of take those teachable moments back of, you know, they came to me with a vulnerability management policy. And I was like, where's my exception process? They're like, what do you mean? It's like, how do I tell you to go pound sand? Right, right. What, what about this one server? <laughs> For a little we're period of time, I needed update. to go pound sand. Like, sure. how do I do that? Sure, sure. Um, Compensating controls and all the other good conversations. Yeah, those are the fun conversations. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Nick VGA. Uh, soon to be CISO at Talent. Have you yeah. started yet? Uh, starting on the 11th. So. Starting on the 11th. All right. Former CIO, former CISO. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>